Hey guys, welcome to the Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter. This week, we're talking about the subject of blue chip shares. We're going to talk about the traps that some investors find themselves in by buying long-term holdings in stocks that simply don't perform, buying them because of what they've done in the past. We're going to talk about the characteristics that we look for in stocks that make them a buy and what helps us make profit as traders. But most importantly, we're going to look at three critical tips to ensure that you don't make the mistake of going down with the ship if the shares that you own stop performing. Blue chip shares aren't necessarily the safe investment that people think they are, and it's a huge miss to the bust, and that's exactly what we're going to look at this week's Money and Investing show, all about blue chips. See you in the broadcast. Hi guys, welcome to the Money and Investing podcast with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and of course, my offsider as always, Mr. Mitchell Laurentiu. How are you, buddy? Good, mate. How are you? Very well indeed. Just off the plane, fresh and ready to go. Early start? Early start. Wow. Mm. Okay. So what have you got lined up for us today? Well, I was just about to jump into that. Uh, we've got a really interesting topic ahead today. Mm. Uh, one that might be quite, quite controversial, and that is blue chip stocks. Blue chip stocks, hey, well, this is certainly going to be <laughs> most definitely know what most people are expecting to hear. Hopefully, uh, with some of the wisdom that we can share, uh, it's going to save people from putting themselves in a very compromised position based on misbelief. So what do they teach you at uni in terms of the definition for a blue chip share? Yeah, well, I think it's really quite simple. A blue chip share is essentially a stock that's had a long-standing history of good financial and operational management and good, strong leadership. It's often a term that a lot of unsavvy investors will throw around quite lightly, mm. a blue chip this, blue chip that. When you get down to the crux of it, a blue chip stock isn't necessarily a great investment. That's what we're <laughs> going to cover today, right? That is exactly right. And it is a huge misbelief that's out there. Uh, and I'm glad that our listeners are, are going to get this firsthand from people that actually are in the markets as opposed to people that write books or columns in newspapers or whatever it may be. And blue chip shares, the safe place to be, but I really would disagree with that statement wholeheartedly, but not just blue chip shares. More a question of simply buying and blindly holding over the long term blue chip shares, I think is a very, very dangerous misbelief. And the reason, and we'll dive deep on a number of case studies, um, but it is a term that's generically used and people assume because something is a, a blue chip type company and blue chips are the, the typical big household names that everyone knows about, your Telstra's, your AMP's, your Woolworth's, your Newcrest Mining, um, you know, General Electric over in the US, they're, they're the names, your Commonwealth Bank, they're the names that get thrown around with it. And some of them are probably worthy of that title and indeed having good quality management and prudent balance sheet management and others simply don't deserve it. And, and we'll go through and try and explore and sift through that. And for people that just put some money in and hope it's gonna go up over time, it's a strategy that no longer works. And, and that's a real tragedy because I really feel for people when I hear those sorts of stories, they've done all the right things, they've worked hard, they've saved money, uh, they've opened an account and they've gone out and bought shares, which is perhaps what their advisor has told them to do. But they've just blindly held them, maybe hoping for a dividend, we'll talk about that I'm sure as well. And it's failed them. And buying and holding blue chip shares long term, in my mind, is a strategy that probably worked very, very well up until about 10 years ago, pre-GFC, and I think the world has shifted an awful lot. And it's important to understand that world, the world's changed, things change all the time, and investment strategies need to evolve along with time. Sure. And you and I both know that the typical places that people have gone and that people are still going to, mm. to put their money don't work. Mm. Um, at times, and they're certainly not going to work in the conditions ahead. And as you mentioned, you know, since the GFC, a lot's changed, mm. and that's where we sort of come in. And I will talk about mm. that later. Is that turnkey to sort of swap that over? Mm. 
But from your experience, I mean, I know, you know, you're obviously a seasoned multimillionaire trader, right? So you, you, I'm sure you've traded a couple of blue chip stocks before. Hmm. What's your experience? Look, I think if your stock selection is right, it's very good. But again, I go back to that notion that things do change over time. And it's very, very important as an investor to have a strategy that's continually evolving. I'll give you a really good example of this. If you think about music, I just bought some uh, vinyl just uh, at one of my favorite record shops while, I was, uh, while I was, I've just been away. You can tell you're old. <laughs> well, you see, the good thing about vinyl, you don't need an <laughs> Apple Watch to tell you to get up every 15 minutes to exercise because you've got to turn the thing over. You see, it's got built-in exercise. It's very clever. Yeah. Okay. So 30 years ago, 20 years ago, if you want to listen to music, you'd listen to vinyl. Then along came cassette tapes and, and anyone listening will remember when you had the cassette in the car in the summer and it's a bit hot, you pull the tape out and, and all the string of tape would stay in the car. You know, you've got to get a pencil uh, to wind it. You, you, I know you're looking at me in disbelief. This actually used to happen before you were born. See, I barely even know what a CD mm. is, let alone talking well, then, about cassettes. That's right. The next iteration was CDs and then now everything is streaming and that's just music consumption we've talked of. And so investment markets have changed too. So again, the whole notion of this isn't about buying blue chip shares, it's blindly holding blue chip shares for the long term. Sure. So we can look at some examples of that. And probably one of the, the most famous companies under great leadership in the US, and let's talk about America first, and then we'll bring it back home to, to, to our backyard. Sure. Take General Electric. Now, Jack Welch, one of the most lauded CEOs in history and did an incredible job of building GE to be the bemoth conglomerate that it was. Uh, an incredible um, year in, year out growth in profit, year in, year out growth in dividend to investors over multiple decades. Incredible CEO. But GE's share price has since dwindled from around about $160 a share. It's currently trading at about 10 bucks a share. Wow. Now, if you're holding those shares for the long term blindly and you're someone that's got a very passive strategy, you don't look at your shares, you're like, gee, great business, buy the shares, hold them, when we retire, we'll sell them, you're going to get a really nasty surprise because they've been decimated because that whole notion of big conglomerate businesses have changed. It's about niche now and owning that niche. And if you look at the, the terrifically successful companies that are out there, they have a niche and they're exploiting it massively. Now, if we circle that conversation back to Australia, and this one, this is a very, very hard-hitting set of facts to hear for most investors as we share them. Um, two of the most widely held shares in our country are AMP and Telstra, and I've traded both of those stocks over time. I've never held them for the long term, nor would I ever encourage anybody to do that for the simple reason, even though they're described as blue chip businesses, neither of them have performed in any way that's remotely acceptable from an investor point of view. So, you know, if we look at Telstra, it listed um, <laughs> in 1997, uh, November 97, I remember that, I was actually here in Australia on holiday, it was before I'd moved here, and it's the same week that Michael Hutchins committed suicide, just oh, to give nice. you a timeline. And that's 22 years ago. Yep. Now, Telstra listed around 470, 480 a share. Uh, it's been up in the nines, 960 I think was its high, and, and now it's currently trading at around about $4 per share. So there's 22 years you've had your money tied up and it's now worth less than what you put in. Now, mm. if you consider against that backdrop what the cost of living has done, how much a cup of coffee costs, how much your rent is, what you pay for fuel, electricity bill, all these day-to-day -day expenses that people live with, yeah, they're up several hundred percent, yet your investments have gone backward. And that's the tragedy of that blindly buying and holding. Now, the argument to that is, of course, oh, well, I've received a dividend 
every six months in the case of Telstra. And that may well be true, but that percentage dividend is on a smaller and smaller dollar amount. So even your income percentage has started to drift down. And in fact, the company has now cut its dividends. And as I say, I suspect we'll be talking about dividends in another show. Sure. So let's park Telstra to the side just for the moment and, and, and perhaps leave it there. Um, <laughs> AMP is another example, very, very widely held stock. Uh, it's a company that demutualized in the 90s. A lot of people got shares if they were investors with AMP. And there's a stock that was around $16 a share at one point in time. It's around about $1.90 right now. Wow. So there's 90% of your asset has been wiped out by blindly holding for the long term a stock that just hasn't hasn't functioned as a business. And and I'm sorry, just to stop you there. Mm-hmm. Now, these typically are great businesses. You know, Telstra owns, you know, all of the landlines across Australia mm-hmm. and whatnot. It's almost a monopoly, for example. What actually causes their share price to A, spike, and then B, sag all the way down below where they listed? Hmm. Seeing as you're putting me on this point, in my personal opinion, I think it's an incredibly poorly run business. Um, It's a company that in its past was a government department, a nationalized business, and it still operates like that in many ways. And Mm -hmm. if you, for example, and just recently I've had calls, unfortunately, to have to deal with them on the phone about something as a complaint as usual. Finding simple things like who you are as a customer and being able to look things up in a database is incredibly difficult for them. Uh, oh, do you have a linked phone to that account? No, I don't. <laughs> okay, well, I don't know who you are then. Uh, you know, it's very, very, it's archaic in the way that it runs and it's got a complex business. It shouldn't fail to make money as a business. Where I think the challenge sits for it, it's been so keen on its dividend play where it's paid its investors a dividend to perhaps buy their loyalty. And in doing so, it's used an enormous amount of his profit to do that rather than taking that profit and reinvesting it back in the business to grow into something that needs to operate in the 21st century sure. and beyond. So that retained earnings isn't there to, to take the business to the next level. It's a very good example of something that I don't personally believe has been well managed on that basis because they've been so one-eyed about dividends. Okay. Now, if you look at the antithesis to that in terms of a very well-managed business. West Farmers, I would say, is probably one of the best, particularly under um, Richard Goida, was one of the best managed companies in Australia. But let's take BHP. Post the GFC and during the mining boom, BHP was awash with cash. It had so much money coming in the door with commodity prices being the way they were. Not a bad problem to have, right? Quality problem to have. And as a board, um, they decided that their strategy would be for the first time to introduce something called an incremental dividend plan. So every year they'd look to pay more out in terms of the dividend to their shareholders. It's very, very unusual for a mining company to do that. Normally they retain their earnings to reinvest in the business. Sure. And they went through a cycle of that for for quite a number of years. But then when things started to slow down, they made the decision that they were going to cut dividends. And they were schooled initially by investors for doing that, saying, well, hang on, you promised us growth in dividends. And the board, uh, and particularly their chairman at the time, came out and said, no, it's prudent to do this because we need to retain the earnings to keep some fat on the bone when times get tough. So we are going to cut. And it was one of the best things the company could have done. So there's an example where instead of being dyed in the wool and going down a pathway, you've recognized the circumstances that are going on and responded accordingly. And that's great leadership, doing what needs to be done rather than taking the easy path. I think that's a really good point. Mm. And and like anything, especially in financial markets, you have to adapt to the conditions mm. which you are presented. Now, that sounds a little bit more like a blue chip stock to me, one with really quality management that's mm. adaptable. Mm. Uh, any other examples that you'd like to point out? Look, I mean, looking on the on the not so good side of the ledger, I think you can look at companies like Woolworths. And, and you know, Woolworths is a grocer. Uh, it's got a, exa- other parts of its business are things in the wine and spirits place, um, obviously Big W and so on and so forth, which is struggling. And Woolworths as a business has really gone through a slump due to 
again, what I would believe is not great management where um, they've had a particular target demographic which they've tried to base all of their business around. And that may work for grocery, but it hasn't worked for stocks like Big W. And for listeners to this, this show, you know, if you think about back to school with Big W was always the motto, but now if you were to go out and, and shop for that, you'd probably go to Kmart any day of the week because sure. it's, it's head and shoulders above as a business because the management have been, they've, they've helped the business evolve and grow. So you know, there are companies that come along with very, very good management. And, and, and when they do, their share price responds accordingly. Uh, again, if we look uh, across the pond uh, to the US, take Disney, for example, uh, under um, Bob Iger's stewardship, uh, who's, who's just now um, going into retirement, um, that company has done incredible things. Acquisitions, it bought Pixar, it's gone into the animated space, it's acquired multiple studios, it's now moved into the streaming space to tackle Netflix head-on, all under, under Bob Iger, and the share price has reflected that. You know, it's a stock that's gone from around $60, $70 a share to around about $150 a share. So the market has recognized that shift in momentum. Um, whereas if you look at um, some of the other businesses that have been left behind in, the, in, in, in that space, um, not so much in terms of movies and entertainment, but look at some of the TV type companies where um, they've had a lame attempt to get into uh, chasing the streaming space. They haven't done it well because the management team, the focus isn't there. They're responding as opposed to having it as their core mission. Okay. They're trying to catch up with Netflix. They've done it. They've got first mover advantage. Disney will overtake it because it is the king of content. And I would say it's one of the best companies in the world, in my humble opinion. Great management, great product, great brand, great stewardship, great financials, and a great outlook. It's set up for the future. I mean, it's a stock we've traded plenty of times. Absolutely. Um, whereas a lot of the other companies are now playing catch up. Uh, I heard one, I'll leave the name out uh, for, the, for the benefit of, uh, uh, of the embarrassing nature of the story, but they're just moving into the streaming space now. They're five years too late. Uh, and you can't get to the party late and wondering why nothing good's happening. So management have got to be decisive and they've got to be ahead of the curve. And again, you look at good businesses with good drivers. Um, you know, if you take Afterpay, for example, in Australia, that's, uh, that's a company that wouldn't be regarded as a blue chip company. It's an up and comer. But it's a company that over the last four years, we've seen its share price go from $2.50 a share uh, to currently around about 30 bucks. It's been as high as $35. Totally. And it's not a blue chip share, but it's a company that's got great management and it's carved its niche. And this idea of owning your niche is so, so important in today's world. Um, they own their niche very, very well. They've got competitors out there, but they've got that first mover advantage. And they've got a very, very clear purpose as to what they're trying to do. Sure. And I think Afterpay is a really good example, drawing it back to what we mentioned before, of adapting to market conditions. Mm. They're someone who have not only just got the headwind, but they've run with it as well. Mm. Uh, I mean, great business. Um, when I was spoken about it before, being not so conscionable mm. um, you know, in the minds of the business. But, I mean, it's a $35 a share. It's got great management. It's a great business. When do we start defining it as a blue chip? I mean, who, who makes that, that decision? That, that, that's a great question. And I kind of, when you when you said what we're going to talk about, I was thinking, I wonder if we're going to end up here and we have. That transition from being an up-and-comer to a blue chip. Let's again look at a couple of US stocks that are very well known. If we take, for example, Tesla. Now, that's a company that, again, wouldn't be described as blue chip. Um, it's not necessarily a profitable business. Um, the management team is centered around one person. Uh, and what a visionary it is, too. Um, you know, as a person, everybody wants to see fail. For whatever reason, I don't know, because that guy has and will continue to change the planet in a great way. Um, so let's hope he continues to do that. So this isn't a blue chip business, but it's a company that's about 500 
and change per share, $500 plus per share now. Wow. Its market capitalization is bigger than General Motors ever was at its absolute peak. And General Motors at one point was the world's largest car manufacturer. So does that now qualify it to become a blue chip? And most investors would probably say no because of the unpredictable nature of its CEO and the fact that it's a loss-making business. Um, if we were to, to, you know, so so, what does trigger that transition from being an up and comer into being a blue chip business? Exactly. A very very difficult one. It's, I think it's a very subjective yeah, question. There's no certification that says, "Hi, you are blue chip certified." Is there? No. It's a little bit more of an arbitrary. You're nice, thing. Isn't it? Welcome to the podium. Congratulations, yeah. you're now blue chip. You're now blue yeah. chip. Well, if you look in the mining space, we we talked briefly about BHP before, and obviously Rio are the two preeminent in the iron ore space. And then take something like Fortescue, again, the third force in iron ore, and what Andrew Forrest has done, again, is another visionary uh, that's taken uh, the, the third force in iron ore, which is, which is how Fortescue describes itself. Yeah, it's currently hovering just over $11 a share from around $4.50 12 months ago, so it's had a terrific run. It's almost 260% up. Does it now qualify to be a blue chip? I don't think it does on the back of its share price because that's not just simply what this is all about. But if you look at the way its balance sheet has changed, the debt's been paid down, and it's solidified its position in the marketplace, and I think Fortescue's as blue chip as anything else. Well, that's fine. I mean, we, we can make yeah. our own certificates and give that to Fortescue. Perhaps we should. I'm sure we'll go and present it next time we're in Perth. We'll sure. come and knock on the door and say, we'd like to acknowledge that you're now blue chip. I'm sure Twiggy will be over the moon about that. Oh, I'm sure they will. <laughs> Got to have fun with this sort of stuff. So... Going back, we've talked a bit about how these companies can move around from being the darling to being the devil, so to speak. Um, that there is the conundrum as an investor is how do you pick your shares? And I'm, again, it's something I'm sure we'll discuss in further podcasts. The, uh, the, the methodology that we use to ensure that we stay ahead of the curve and, and that we have planted our flag in the right place. And that requires a different level of analysis than simply buying and holding. So, you know, typically if I look at how we teach our clients to trade and our core part of what our business is, yeah, you know, we don't typically hold a position for more than about four to six weeks. We're in there for that little run and we take what we came for and when we've got it, that, that's great. Rather than this whole sort of buy and hold and hope uh, mindset where if it starts to trade down, well, how long do you hold it for before it, it starts to recover again? It can be very, very difficult and can be can be very, very damaging. Uh, and the examples we've gone through there, GE, Telstra, AMP, Woolworths, are all very, very good examples where people in good faith have done the right thing. You know, we look at our banking sector in Australia right now, that would be the bluest of blue chips. And they've been very good performers. That's an area where if you had bought and held for long term, you've done quite well. Sure. Um, and, and I guess the banking sector in particular is very fortunate because the more the economy grows by default, the more the banking sector is going to grow with it. Makes sense. Mm. So buying and holding for the long term in those sorts of stocks is, is appealing for a lot of people. Again, though, uh, that danger sign is dividends. You say, well, I'm going to hold my banking shares because of the fully franked or tax paid dividends that they pay up. But we've started to see now that banks are cutting those dividends too. And we're going to start to see some wholesale shifts out there in terms of perhaps what investors are looking for and what companies are going to need to deliver in order to maintain that shareholder loyalty. Telstra have been very good at it, even though its share price has been dire by paying over the odds dividends for, for quite a considerable period of time. But if you're not investing in your future, well, that's where the growth is really going to come from. And we always talk about it in financial markets. It's part of our financial health warning and client notice. Past performance is no guarantee of future performance. And I think that's a really good place to put a full stop at the end of a discussion around blue chips because past performance very much is no guarantee of future performance when it comes to those stocks. 
Yet most people on the street, if you had this conversation and said, like, list you know, the top 10 best stocks in Australia, they would pick blue chip companies because they're the ones they're familiar with. Of course. But whether or not they're the best place to invest, of course, is a totally different question. Mm, it's an interesting question too. Mm. I guess, you know, we can't. We are coming to the end of the broadcast and we've talked about a lot and mm. I'm sure there's people going to agree with us and there's people that are going to disagree. Mm. Final parting words. I mean, if you're going to invest in blue chip, you mm. know, blindly doing it is obviously off the cards. How would you do it? I think you've got to have a, a robust process. When the process is right, the results always follow. You have to have a process. Uh, and that's very important to take the emotion out of your decision making. Never fall in love with your stocks. So you may have a particular business you like, uh, and, you know, and, and an airline might be a good example of that. If you fly with them all the time, you might, oh, I like the business or buy shares in it. All of a sudden, you're being far less objective as to the reason why you're holding that. And I think you do need to review how your shares are performing. This isn't about um, becoming a day trader. That's the last thing I'd ever advise anybody <laughs> on. It's, uh, it's, that's no That'd be a good topic to cover, actually, day trading. Yeah, well, maybe we will. If, if uh, listeners want to cover that, I'm sure we can. Uh, we've been there, done it, so we'll talk a little bit about it and the, it. the fours and against. But this is about periodically having a look at what's going on. And this is the big difference between shares and property. You know, you don't need to walk past an investment property every day to see how it's performing because you're not going to be buying and selling it nor have the ability to do that. But with shares where you've got an opportunity, if there's a decent spike or there's something going on that you can capitalize over and above profit-wise, I think that's a good thing to do. People then complain about having to pay tax, which is, of course, a first world problem. You know, we should all be looking to pay as much tax as we can. Um, but reviewing your portfolio is one thing. Number two, not falling in love with the stock. But number three, I think before you even get into, into the investment, just like with any other asset class, whether it be property uh, or any other kind of investment you can be in, you make your profit, you make your money when you buy, not when you sell. Now that, How do you mean? Buying at the right time will almost always ensure that you make a profit. Trying to sell at the right time is very difficult. So do your homework first before you get into it, okay? Do your homework first, get in at a good level, and when it hits what you came for, take your money off the table and work it hard somewhere else. Million dollar advice. I mean, you can't make it any more simpler than that. AB, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for your expertise. There's a lot of good stuff in there, <laughs> and I'm sure our viewers will enjoy. Thanks very much, Mitch, always a pleasure, and thanks for joining us on Money and Investing. Make sure you take a few moments, give us a review, provide us with a rating, very, very important. Let's other people know that we're out there with what we're doing and we'll love to talk to you in our next show. Speak soon.